Crazy you know what that insane happens? that is? That's impossible. I haven't told this story ever. What is an NFL quarterback room like? So two years ago, I trained Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and Kyle Allen. That was my draft class. I think that this league is filled with opportunities and the guys that, that stay in the league for a long time are the guys that take advantage of those opportunities. I'm just a big believer in repetition. I'm a big team guy and goals never end. I'm just a big, big, big. I'm a big team guy and I stepped on that field today. That was good, man. All right, welcome. We got season two of the room here. We have our first non-football guest, one of my mm. one of my good friends, I'd say. Yes. Gary V. Gary likes to call himself a football player, but he's more of a football player on the basketball court, <laughs> I'd say. I'm a and 90s Knicks fan. That's how we do. You're a 90s Knicks fan, and you just go for knees is what I've seen. No, no, no. I haven't I'm not yet. trying to hurt. I'm just I'm trying more to of like intimidate. A, yeah, I'm more of like a Kyle Korver guy on the outside, <laughs> you know, maybe stay on the other end while the team's on defense. That's well, it's because you have skills. Welcome to the room. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you coming on. We've been trying to do this for a while. But yes. Like I said, we're trying to get quarterbacks in all walks of life in season two, and I think more than anything, you are the quarterback of the media world, and I would think you would say that too. And and you're running Vader Media now. You're running Vader Sports, um, but it's awesome. A lot of people look up to you. A lot of guys in the NFL obviously look up to you. You were saying they were all texting you last night to go out at like <laughs> 5 a.m. You're sleeping. Thanks for getting Thank some God. sleep. But but appreciate you coming on. Dude. I'm really happy to be here, Kyle. I'm excited for this show and proud of you for expanding this to your repertoire. And you know, actually, I I've always been a huge football fan. I've always been fascinated by how many people at the quarterback position go on to do many things in media. Mm-hmm. A lot of entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of crossover between the QB and the CEO. Mm-hmm. You know, especially the analogy of like after throwing a pick, like yeah. just next play or you're dead. Like failing at the micro level is the most entrepreneurial thing I know. And so uh, it's really cool to be on the show. And it's like, especially for you, and you're a guy that's that's different than most people. You get those failing reps in front of everybody too because you put yourself out there and so that's why i think with quarterbacks is so interesting and, mm-hmm. and football players in general but quarterbacks especially you're failing in front of millions of people you're failing <laughs> in front of america you're not just failing and going home and yeah susie down <laughs> down there just saw my report and it sucked you know you're failing uh-huh. in front of america and so when you say that because my first question is the quarterback of your company when you look at quarterbacks around the league and you look at how they handle things and from media side, from the franchise side, what do you as like a CEO relate to from the quarterback room? I'm gonna go somewhere left field, which is the thing I probably most relate to is being testy with the media. Mm. I'm not kidding. And this is like, it was funny where my brain went when you asked that question, even to me. It was funny that it went there because I think that you know, obviously I live in Manhattan and the New York media market's different, right? Stop. We share a good friend in Sam, right? Mm-hmm. And so his scenario is going to be different than the Houston market right. or the D.C. market. Even or those, any those, market. Yeah, yeah, or any. I mean, and those are big cities. D.C. and Houston are not small cities. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I relate with is being competitive and then like 20 minutes later having beat reporters ask you questions that are completely triggerable and so i relate with it because i really do feel those chemicals when i'm competitive when something goes awry you need those 10 15 20 minutes two hours 
two days, two weeks to let it settle in. And just the, not only are you the face of the franchise when you're the QB and you're failing in front of so many, but you have to also then deal with the media. And that is something that I understand. And that's even more rare than having to fail in front of a thousand or a hundred thousand or a million people instead of one or two. And so that's where I have the most compassion, the most empathy. Um, But I also relate to it um, because I think when you're living in public, people are really at a, you know, most people are wonderful, but there's always a small group that is looking for the angle. Um, And so that I, I relate with a lot. That's just tough. Tough. And like, like you said, people are just trying to tear you down for whatever reason. The, the reason is they themselves are not in a great place. Correct. I think the other thing I really relate with is like, regardless of how it's going, you really have to have the strength to put the face on and lead the team. I, I've noticed through, what am I, 47 now? I've noticed through my 42 years of, or 40, 40 years of obsessive football watching that a quarterback who struggles to either be overly competitive or put on a good face. If they're in the middle, slouching, indifferent, Mm -hmm. at times can really lose a football team within a game or within a season. And for me, I think a lot about that. I'm always in a mindset of, it's my fault, I got this, let's go dudes, let's go ladies, let's go. And so I I definitely relate with that and and I can sense when a QB is losing the team within a game or within a season, and that's hard to come back from. It's really hard to come back from. You just you just gotta weather the storm. And it's the media and you know the Jets with Zach this year, right? We think about yeah, Zach, and it's and it's just a tough spot. And it's what well, what is it? It's three words or it's one answer. You know, it's no when they ask him about right, which is like you know is ridiculous because the kid's on tilt exactly after playing a poor game. He's feeling his own pressure. And it, you know it's really it's really really challenging and you know and really it's it's throughout college it's throughout the NFL you see this at scale mm-hmm. um, and it's really really hard now for the people watching at home they're gonna have a really good answer to that which is like yeah you get paid millions of dollars to do this and and honestly like I'm empathetic to that yeah I by the way I agree and I would actually argue that is the punchline. I've always said to buddies in our 20s and 30s, not a saying I say a lot anymore, but I just remembered it and made me smile. You know, the more pressure you can eat, the more I can see that as an indicator to your financial capacity. And, you know, I eat pressure for a living. I really believe that. I have a lot of companies. It's what it's really what I do. That's great. And it's, you know, it's it's I'm built for it. Yeah. Um, but no question, you know, as my career pivoted where more people knew who I was and there was more attention and there was more comments, both pro and con, it definitely gave me a little bit more of a sense of like, okay, you know, I use, actually I use it all the time in my business mm-hmm. content, which is the whole booing and cheering, yeah. right? If, if, you're an, if you're a business operator that is in a place where the comments and Instagram are going to dictate your behavior is really no different than a player fully affected by the booing or the cheering. And so you got to tune it out. Yeah. And there's a lot of guys around the league that do handle it really well. 
it was that kind of weak moment this year. And who did you in your career? Just uh, for, I'm just genuinely curious if you from your career, who did you look at and say, wow, like whether it was a three week span in Carolina or this, like, did anybody stand out of like you're like, oh, okay, that guy like is doing it. I mean, it was always when I was in Carolina, it was always Luke Keekley. Like, mm. Luke Keekley is just like we were. Like, he's good friends with Sam now from being in Carolina. Mm. And, and only played eight years, which sucked. But when Luke was in Carolina, that was my rookie year. So this locker room, my rookie year, it was Luke Keekley, Cam Newton, Greg Olson, Ryan Khalil, Julius Peppers. That's... I like walked into there and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm this undrafted dude, you know, and I'm just looking around, just trying to shut up and like not get in anybody's way, you know. Men. But Luke, like take a guy like Luke Keekley who did every single thing the right way. You look at all his like mic'd ups from the games. Yeah. He's the leader on that field and he demands respect. And it's not out of a, I'm better than you think, right? He demands respect because it's like you said, he eats pressure, he shows up on game day, he puts in the work. It, it comes out of him on game day too. He, the work translates to the field. And then in the locker room, he was a guy that always would come up to guys like me, right? Mm. I was the fourth string quarterback in OTAs my rookie year. He, was, he probably thought, never thought he was gonna see me again, but he would come up to me after plays and if I threw a pick in practice or if I was staring a receiver down or something, he would come up to me and be like, hey, in Tampa 2, if you're looking in the dig window and it's three by one, I'm going to push through that and go throw the dig because I know you're not going to throw it out of the middle, right? He would come and say things like that to me. And that would register. Oh, it was, it was awesome. And just, he was a leader, right? And you got to lead, you got to lead from the top all the way down, right? You can't just lead from your starters. Like, if you're a real leader, a real face of the franchise, which Cam was the face of that franchise, but really Luke was too. A hundred percent. A hundred percent you got to lead all the way through. And there's tons of guys that do it like that, too. And, and it's like you, you eat pressure for a living. You're the face of your company. These quarterbacks are essentially faces of their company, right? Yes. You're faces of billion-dollar franchises, and there's a ton of guys that do it really well. Who do you think does it the best in the league in this day and age, from media, leadership, like the whole kit and caboodle? Just going through the progressions in my mind of the divisions, um, look, I think it comes in, I'll give you things that come through my mind. Um, I think what Trevor Lawrence did in that playoff game is really interesting. Incredible, right? Yeah, when you're down 27 nothing and you throw four picks. Talk about everyone watching, too. There's, there's only one game on at that time, you know? Yeah, and, and I'll, get, I'll, I'll break this down. This might be fun for people that watch this show because I think business, mindset, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, and then obviously football and especially quarterbacks. It's, it's not only that it was 27 nothing. it was that he had got, he had, for the first year and a half of his career, not hit on expectations. Mm -hmm. You were starting to get like weird little whispers of like, is he gonna be able to do it? Exactly. This guy was pretty much the biggest can't miss guy since Andrew Luck. Mm -hmm. Now he gets some success and they make a run, which has gotta be a huge like, yeah, right? Just build you up. Right? Like, so now he has this, half a season, six, seven weeks where they rolled, mm -hmm. right? Now they're feeling like, okay, that's huge. Now he goes into the playoffs, the whole country is watching, except me, I didn't watch any playoffs this year. None. <laughs> the Jets season put me into such I'm a bitter place. surprised you're actually on the show after the comment I made about the Jets <laughs> when I saw you. Yeah. I'm like, I'm staying calm right now. I love you too much, that's all it is. There's nothing else going on here. Uh, yeah, exactly, just, yeah, you're not busy. Love. No, is, you're not busy. It's not even about this you. This is at the Super Bowl, by the way, if you're wondering you know? why our voices are so <laughs> bad right um, now. <laughs> you know, now the whole country's watching and you're down 27-0 and you threw four picks in the first half. 
that is like as bad as you can script it. Yeah, you're losing and it's your fault. Yeah, and, and like that's rough. To be able to have the strength to score late, build the momentum in the locker room and then come out what they did in the second half really caught my attention. I also think that he was thrown into as bad of a head coaching situation as you can yeah. as a rookie. So he's got my attention as like, oh, what's going on there? Yeah. I think Joe Burrow has had so much success in the first three years of his life, but he has a sense of humor mm-hmm. that I think services him quite, quite well. He's got a cockiness that works. He's you got know? a cockiness that works. Yeah. And I really understand that. Yeah. And so, and so. It's a fine line. It's a real fine line. Yeah. But I think that, that pops into my mind. Um, I, you know, I recently, only because I just sometimes, you know, there's things you pay attention to and you don't. But I've recently really locked into the way that Patrick Mahomes speaks about his teammates, mm-hmm. I think is really smart. Incredible. Right? Yeah. You know it better than I do, yeah. probably. Like I, I didn't really like pick up on that, but that stands out to me. And then you've got like interesting I've always been interested by Daniel Jones, because mm-hmm. that is New York. And he's like a piece of paper. Like it's cerebral at scale. Mm-hmm. And like he's had a rough run with the media and obviously it's turning for him now. Um, but that, you know, kind of stood out to me. I'm like, you know, sometimes you actually have to be numb. Yeah. Like pure numb. Have to. And like like actually. Well, he's not... Eli. Yeah, he's essentially Eli. And that's what Eli turned into. Oh, and now we see Eli nowadays and he's just an unbelievable personality. Which then makes you realize it was Eli being in the zone. Mm-hmm. It's not like Eli all of a sudden in his 40s became like charismatic <laughs> funny. and funny. Yeah. Like it was there, but he probably at some, I don't know Eli like that, but he probably in some way just put himself into a cocoon mm-hmm. It's kind of like when I when I do speeches, a lot of people are scared of you know the stage, and and so I get a lot of questions about it. And it's funny, like a minute or two before I go on, it's like everything shuts off. Yeah, I you know because I love sports so much and like wish I was a player versus an agent and eventually an owner. Go right? Yeah. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. I love when there's things that I've come across in my life that makes me think like, oh, is that like it's, and, and when I started speaking in my mid to late 30s, especially I remember this one speech in Portugal, it was like 50,000 people. Jeez. And like, I just like, like blanked out. And, and I'm like, that's what it is. Like you just, you have to, otherwise you can't do the thing. Yeah. The thing's hard enough. The thing's hard enough if you were playing these teams with no fans in the stands. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, which, Actually happened right. Yeah. During COVID, did we you just talking about that before? Did we you came play, in. Did you pl- you played? I games? was on the football team for the two years. It was the football team, yep. and it was COVID year. And I was just telling the story. We were playing the Ravens, and we were sitting on the sidelines looking at our tablets. Yep. Like they were on offense. All of a sudden, I look up, and they're kicking off to us. I'm like, "What the hell just happened? Like, we got to like get our field. Look at the replay. Lamar Jackson ran a 70 yard touchdown." And we didn't hear a thing because there's no one in the stands. That's insane. Same thing happened in New York, too. We scored a touchdown with 30 seconds left to tie the game. Dead silent. It was weird, man. It almost just didn't feel like worth playing, to be honest with you. That's really? When, that's when I realized how much, like... Fans mattered? Fans mattered, dude. Because like, there's parts in your career when fans of are course. shitty to you and you're like... Parts of your career? I don't fuck parts I mean, of you, <laughs> man. You know, it's like, well, I don't care what you say. But then you get out there and... They're not no there. No one's watching you. Yeah, and you're like, hmm, all right. Did you feel a different energy? 
way different energy. You can hear Did you feel voices. Was it calmer? I like, I like the noise. It makes like, you, yeah, it's like, the, by the way, I sleep with a sound machine. Yeah. Like, actually need sound. Yeah. It makes me more calm. Yeah, just consistent sound. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, that's how it was. You remember my first game. I played in New yep. Orleans. Uh -huh. 13 and 2. Stadium was packed as to the brim. I forgot who they had. I think they had Mark Ingram out there do the hoot at chant mm -hmm. in the middle of it. And then when you're out there on third down, you can't hear a damn thing. But it's like you said, you just, it zones you in. Like all the shit goes by your, your face. Like you can't, you're not looking at any distractions and you're just flow state. Let's build on that. So one thing that I think entrepreneurs, CEOs, and quarterbacks can relate to is the first big moment. Mm -hmm. So yes, I remember that start very vividly. Um, actually, we should also talk about, I'll, I'll finish this one, but I don't want to forget. We should also talk about what's really interesting to me about football and business is taking chances when you know they're not a chance. Mm -hmm. I will never forget the entire process of the consideration of repping you when on paper, you know, it's a chance. Mm -hmm. Like you're getting all NFL feedback and saying, great kid, but you know, I don't, we don't bad. see him getting drafted. It was real bad. You know? <laughs> um, and like, we were a small firm. And so that gives us more reason to take a chance. Mm -hmm. But I remember just being similar to like, even like seeing Dustin here, like you're taking chances on people when you're hiring, when you're elevating, when you're promoting, when you're giving people responsibility. And I just remember that process so vividly, speaking with AJ, you know, I mean, we we also made like real financial commitments. You trained. Oh yeah. You trained with real the yeah. number three and what did Josh go nine? Seven. Seven yeah. picks in that draft, and like we, we treated it and it, in a real way, and we really understood. And like nothing, like there was no part of my brain that ever thought like this kid's not gonna not start in the NFL in games. He's gonna start in NFL games. Appreciate that. That's one thing. I think a lot of people have to take way more chances when it's obvious. Mm -hmm. That was a chance that was obvious to me. I appreciate that. And I think that comes from makeup of the human, not just the things one needs to do. In business, it's hard to know if someone has the skills. You know, with football, it's easy. Yeah. Um, so you gotta put them into the fire. But back to the other thing I wanna talk about. That game, you went crazy. And like- Talk about flow state though, it's the same thing though. You just flow state. You just like, went crazy. It's an all or nothing moment. I remember just being like, oh my God, we were right. Like I knew <laughs> it, I knew like, it. Oh, now I can tell him I always believed in him. <laughs> you know, but it was really, it was a big moment. And I think for entrepreneurs, a thing to think about is that first big moment where you're like, I mean, I remember launching winelibrary.com's new version in 1999, maybe 2000, maybe in 2001, somewhere between 99 and 2001. And I bought a full page ad in the New York Times to announce it, right? So this is like when print mattered. Yeah, how much did that cost? Like $60,000 when that was like a billion. Yeah, I was about to say. Like when that was like, yeah, you back know. Back then too, yeah. And so, and the site didn't work. At, right. Because we had like, I planned it so far in advance. The devs I was working with were like, no problem. Wednesday, October 9th, we'll be done by August. August. September, yep. October 1st, October like 3rd, October 7th. And I remember sitting <laughs> in the liquor store at 3.30 in the morning. 3.30 in the morning. I was in the store from 7 a.m. to 3.30 in the morning, and the site's not working. And then we finally get it to work at like 4. I go home, I shower, I, I sleep for two hours, I shower to go back into the store. The ad comes out. I did all the ad, meaning the creative, which wines were in mm -hmm. it, the pricing. 
And I got into the, in the morning and it was like 7, I remember it was like 7.30, which is early. And I clicked orders, because I, I have the back end, mm -hmm. and all this stuff was novel. This was like talking about AI back then. I'm like, I have a website where I can see the orders. They're yeah. like, what's a website? Like I this was like three pages you know, on my website. Yeah. It was a wild time. <laughs> and there was just orders. Park Avenue, New York. Ish. You know, New York, New York, New York, New Jersey. Like, and, uh, and they were just orders. There was like 50 orders, which was like a week's worth at the time. Yeah. And, and it was 7.30 in the morning. And I just genuinely remember this. I haven't told this story ever. I genuinely remember, I'm like, made it. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember knowing like all the things I did, all the high risk, all the work. I was like, this is it. It's a moment. Man. It's a moment. And there's, there's so many like, like I could look back on my career and think of moments too. And I always describe like for guys like me in the NFL who aren't top picks, but even top picks have their moments. But for guys who need to prove themselves, right? Like you're going to get your opportunity at some point. I truly believe if you're the right person, if you do things the right way, you're going to be given your opportunity. And it's just about how many of those you can take advantage of, right? How many of those can you be prepared for and, and succeed? And then the opportunities keep coming. That's what I always try and tell young guys, especially guys who are on the, on the cusp during training camp. And they're like, man, I haven't played a preseason game. I remember texting Brian. I hadn't got uh, a rep in training camp. I remember. I like remember for this, two and a half weeks. I remember and, this very vividly. Yeah, Brian had to humble me. He was like, dude, to be honest, like you're the last thing on their mind right now. And I was like, <laughs> like yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But the moments, right? So you go back to Trevor real quick. We'll go to Trevor and okay. then we'll move on to a game before we do yep. the two-minute drill. But when I think of that moment in that game, right, that's a moment that skyrockets his career. Oh. And you think about it from the other perspective, though, Justin Herbert, right? That was a moment for Justin to solidify himself as a top five mm. quarterback, right? Mm. Up 27, mm. couldn't finish it. Yep. And a lot of people kind of, brush off the blame onto other people. And I think Justin's an incredible player. But I remember thinking about that game. I was like, this is a moment for one of these guys, right? And we've been with Trevor, Christian Kirk, my friend who we're staying with, is best friends with Trevor. He's been around, and you can see the confidence coming out of him. I, now, I right? ran into Trevor the other night. Oh, he and said he, that. And he, spoke, dinner, yeah. and he spoke about, like, like, it's just like, it's real. Yeah. And, it's like, real. you need those moments. And I think if you look around the league, at all the top guys, really at any guy who's played for five, six, seven, ten years, you can pinpoint specific moments that is the reason that their career. When launched. when did you think you could play in this league? I always knew, man. But I what mean, about what about from a moment back? Uh, that I, game. By the way, that, that Saints game. That Saints the game. The first one. You always think it, but I mean, in you don't know until you get out there, man. They were the number one defense that year. I remember. And I mean, and then the next year was the same thing, right? We go back to playing Arizona, and I was like. Well, I played in that last game. They were really playing hard because they already made the playoffs. So, like, this is a real game. Like, mm -hmm. let's see it. But honestly, I'm sure you feel the same way too when you get on stage and you're doing speeches. Like, you got to prove it every time. You know, that's a great point. I think one thing for uh, that we should talk about is you're only as good as your last at bat. 100%. So I've put on 25 years of business success. Yeah. But when you do it in the public eye, and a lot of people watching now will do their lives in the public eye because the 13-year-old, the four of us, the five of us, Hannah just walked in, the 13-year-old versions of us think that people are gonna know us because of now the way social media and creators yeah. work, mm -hmm. right? Every kid who's 13, all of them, all of them have considered if they wanna be an influencer. Mm -hmm. Think about that. There's not a 13-year-old 
in the world who hasn't had a real conversation with themselves that said, am I gonna be a creator or influencer? And 80% of them want to be. Yeah. So let's think about that. Only as good as your last at bat. I've put on obnoxious amounts of wins on the board in my field. Congrats. Yet, thank you, yet, that's not a humble brag, that's a setup for the amount of energy at every time I announce a new project that people are deploying incredible energy against of like, if this fails, you suck. I'm mm-hmm. like, really? Because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm like in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, like, like I, was, I had drinks with Emmett Smith uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not so sold. I literally thought this in that meeting, thus this is a perfect time for this. I'm like, I'm not sold that people, like think about Emmett Smith as a cardinal. No. And like he was a cowboy and that was his work, not that last year yeah. or last two years in Arizona, but that's the reality of it. And I think, you know, really understanding that people have recency bias. You have to. The I last mean. thing you saw is what you remember. And if you're gonna deal as a QB, as a CEO, as an influencer, as a creator, you have to have the stomach to know that the thing you just did, if it doesn't work for a lot of the world, wipes out what you've done, which leads me to the punchline. If you were doing anything for the crowd, you are massively vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the biggest thing that I tell a lot of people when things, for me, I like grabbing kids when things are going great. And to me, it's the conversation of, if you're getting high on this now, you're setting yourself up to be low. So when they're telling you you're the greatest, you need to counter it with you're a piece of shit. Yeah. And when people are telling you you're a piece of shit, you need to tell them you're the greatest. Like to me, genuinely, at this point, things are rolling nicely, all these accolades, you're the GOAT. My brain goes into you suck. Yeah. In a sweet way. Like I'm not hurting myself. I'm like, just remember. It's a humbling way. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. yeah, okay, that's nice. That's very nice what just happened. But like, you're just a human being. Put Go to work. And when people are like, you fucking suck, I'm like, I'm gonna fucking show you, exactly. motherfucker. You know, like it's just very extreme reactions to very extreme energy. And I think I think that's a real, and I really genuinely believe that that's how you can find a calm, happy place. That's the best. And I think me and me and Jordan talk about this a lot. Jordan's not here today, he's yep. back. But we talk about a lot that quarterbacks on either side, right? Some quarterbacks really struggle with the lows and they are great in the highs, right? That's probably most people, right? That's because they're too addicted to the high. Exactly. That's because they're too fucking addicted to the high. And then it goes the other way though too, man. You'll see guys who, when they're in the, in the dumps and they're down low and, and they, they can claw themselves out. Like they know how to get out of that. They know how to prove people wrong. Mm-hmm. But then when they get up there and they, get a little too loose. they start getting behind <laughs> them, then they're like, they don't know how, where that motivation comes from anymore, right? And so they get a little bit lackadaisical and, and maybe the competition isn't there. And so I think for me personally, I've always been a guy that like, I, I like to dig it out of the mud and like, I can get it out of that. And then there's sometimes, it's not even like a motivation thing, but it's like, there's nothing better than proving somebody wrong. I love it too. You know, and I, a lot of people are like, don't prove people wrong. Like, you know, just prove the people right that believe in you. But there's nothing sweeter than proving somebody wrong. Yeah, so. that's, I think that comes from competition. Yeah. Honestly, I think that just comes from being competitive. I also dislike the fact that I like it so much. I know. <laughs> because I don't, because normally most of my energy comes from a positive place. Sure. And I do think that when you're driven by insecurity, mm-hmm. it is not sustainable. For sure. But I will say, there is a version of competitiveness that just is very attracted to that. And it, I mean, there's nothing like it to me. Yeah. Like, I've been playing a lot of pickup basketball lately. Oh, yeah. And 
like when you literally are down eight one to eleven, and you beat a team, like nothing there's just nothing. There's nothing, nothing like better. that. Yeah. There's just nothing like that. Yeah, you called and when you landed, and you said, "Where's a basketball? Court? Let's <laughs> yeah. go play ball." That's what AJ told me yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> You're crazy. All right, we're gonna play one more game. Okay, get you out of here. Um, we call it throw it deeper, check it down. I don't okay, know if you've seen it. So yep. give you a couple of takes. Yep. If you like the take, you're gonna throw it deep. Yep. If you don't, you're gonna check it down. Understood. Right? Quick answers. We'll get you yep. out of here soon. Um, first take: the Jets trade for Derek Carr this year. Throw it deep. You like Derek? I like Derek. Derek is my subjective choice. All right, I like that one. Vayner Sports will have a first overall QB taken in the next three years. Throw it deeper, check it down. It's right on the cusp. Um, I'm going to throw it deep. Yeah, you got to. You can't check it down on that. <laughs> no, I know. Is that but, like but, a but goal, like, though? Of course. Yeah. Of course. That is, I do think that is a coming of age for an agency moment. For sure. QB1 going first overall, um, I think, really does matter. And, you know, um, we've been building, listen, you know this better than anybody. We've been building a true thing. Yeah. We haven't rushed into it. We haven't overpaid or brought mm-hmm. in an agent who has the key. We've been building our family, and so I'd rather, it's almost why I hesitated. Mm-hmm. At this point, I have the juice and the financial means to make that a reality, because you can steal an agent who's so got, sure, like you can right. do things, can but do I don't want to do that. I want to earn it, and I want to do it family-wise, and so I think it's right in the precipice of it. Perfectly goes into the last one. Throw it deeper, check it down. Most NFL agents are just collecting NFL clients and contracts and not fully serving their clients. I believe that, so what, what, is that a throw it deep? Well, yeah, what do you have to yeah. throw it deep, yeah. Look, this is a very challenging thing for me to say because I think it then pokes at a man's or a woman's credibility. Right. But I will say this, there is a reason I'm in two industries that are seemingly different that are exactly the same to mm-hmm. me. One is called VaynerMedia, which plays in the Mad Men Madison Avenue world, mm-hmm. which are agencies that are paid by brands, paid real money to do marketing for them to make the thing happen. Mm-hmm. And then there's Vayner Sports, which men and women are paid to rep a player in their best interest and they get paid for that. Mm-hmm. Both of them, in my opinion, I have observed, struggle with the subconscious, I don't even think people are bad, the subconscious nature of what's in it for them. Mm-hmm. I've watched agencies repeatedly give bad advice on what to spend money on because they make more profit selling television commercials or programmatic yep. digital versus social. And I've watched agents make bad deals for guys to make sure guys don't fire them a year early and they lose the commission, to lock in the full commission, mm-hmm. to, you know, I've watched guys promise the world at scale to guys and when things didn't go the way we we're supposed to as a first round pick, they can't even return a phone call. Yep. And so, you know, yeah, I think I struggle with that. And I think that's why we've had a lot of passion to break both industries. Yeah, and I think the way that you guys built it, I mean, when I was with you, what do we have? Like 12 clients maybe? Yeah. Like nothing crazy. And I've always appreciated that aspect of, of taking care of you, AJ especially, Brian, like just the people that you've built it with. And I think it's like all three of those questions kind of went involved with each other. But you want to do it the right way, right? You're going to get a number one quarterback at some time, but... It's not because you paid him two hundred grand to come sign with you or Correct. something crazy like that. That's right. So I appreciate that. But 
Thanks for taking the time. I know you're super busy. Always um, happy to support you, brother. You know, this was my idea last season because you were so busy. I was trying to get emails. I was like, I'm just going to FaceTime Gary every Tuesday <laughs> and I'm going to throw him on the, the iPad camera right here and have him do a two-minute Jets rant with a mic right here. That's what I should have done. So I, I'm going to start doing By the that. way, I'm ready for that next year. I'm very optimistic about the Jets next year. Offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Huge. That's huge. And they had him like every week too. And by the way, at corner and receiver, this yeah. is a passing league now. Yeah. Those are two... I mean, outside linebacker, left tackle, and quarterback, those are the five positions. Uh, it, you know, the future is bright, Jeff fans. Yep, Bear with it. Derek Carr on the way, too. <laughs> That'd be nice. So, uh, appreciate it. By the it. way, on that, can I? Can, go, I, go I, ahead. I know go I'm the one running. Yeah, I got something for you. Yeah. Uh, I was at Radio Row yesterday doing a bunch of stuff. Okay. Uh, and obviously got asked a lot about the Jets quarterback position. I think we we're talking about a lot of interesting stuff that I think people are going to glean from. My actual answer to who I want for the Jets, though, Subjectively, I think Dekar is that guy, is the human, and we talked about it in this interview. Out of Rodgers, I think Tannenhill is going to be in play. Um, Carr, Jimmy G, mm-hmm. Lamar. Which quarterback has 5 to 10% of his energy to also be a true teammate to yeah. Zach is the most interesting one for me. This concept that you just 24 months ago, mm-hmm. you're taking the kid number two overall. Like, look at Geno Smith. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, like, uh, I mean, one of your best friends in the world, Sam, like, you know, like, New York is a very tough place. There's a lot going on there. There's so much circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I just think that a QB that comes in and also contributes something to the development of Zach, I can't, you can't ask. Aaron Rodgers is easier to ask to develop Zach than Derek Carr. Derek Carr sure. has seven to 10 years in For this sure. league if he wants it. Mm-hmm. Aaron's probably got 24 months. And I think Aaron is more willing than people think too. I think so too. Yeah. Not to mention that Zach idolized him. Exactly. And, and so that, that is clearly gonna be in play, but I think, I think when you're building something meaningful, you have to think about the casting of every piece, like a business. I think about my leaders, not just from how much money they can bring in, mm-hmm. but are they good human beings and represent our values? Which means having compassion, empathy, sympathy, and deep care for the other people, even if it's not in their financial interest. Mm-hmm. That is a culture building thing that a lot of people need to think about. And that's actually what Woody Johnson, Chris Johnson, Joe Douglas, and yeah. Robert Salas should be thinking about, not just what the guy can do on the field. Yeah, it's a, you're never gonna see it from day to day, but. It's something that, it's the vibe that it builds up, man. When, when you tell me that thing with Luke, it completely fucks with me in the best way because my brain goes to, of course that was a good era for them. Exactly. When your best defensive player is also talking to the fucking fourth string quarterback at OTAs and trying to help him, you're going to have a good football team. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons I believe that the Jets were starting the process of getting decent after a decade of slum is... The GM prior to the one we have now, no disrespect, but was legitimately drafting guys of very low char- character. Mm-hmm. Like I knew these kids, we were in the recruiting business, I'm like, we can't take that guy. We took a guy in the third round, first pick of the third round, who didn't make it out of his first camp. Isn't that crazy? You know how that insane happens? that is? That's impossible. That's, crazy. That's impossible. It's like all the Raiders guys that didn't make it too, all their first round picks. So, but you know, but actually to go on the other way on that one, AJ and I've always had this debate. I always want to go with super high character guys to rep and to 
draft and AJ's like, look, you're the highest character guy I know. You can't play in the NFL. And so like with the Raiders, a couple of those guys are the best dudes of all time. Yeah, and they can't And they play. reach too far on character. And <laughs> so it's a it's it goes back to this concept of like purple. Yeah. I use red and blue because politics are hot with everyone right yeah. now. The answers are always purple. Always. And it, like and that. character and and talent, yeah. it's purple. Yeah. It is. Anyway. I thank you, brother. Thank, thank you for having me on the show. Love you. It was awesome, man. Appreciate you.